The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. I'm going to read today's scripture from Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. Of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just before we go to the word, I would like an opportunity to just uh, thank the Lord for my precious, precious family uh, for being so uh, just uh, patient and kind and generous with their time to be able to travel all this way down to Nashville, Tennessee to spend this time with us. And I'm grateful for our dear sister, Leah Toussaint, who is uh, a, just a precious dear sister in the Lord. And uh, I was a member of New City Fellowship, has now uh, spent some time in Georgia, and actually has uh, traveled all the way up here just to spend this time together this morning with us. So that's good love right there. I, I thank the Lord for you, Sister Leah. Amen. Amen. Come on. And the Hairston family, uh, Roland and Christy Hairston and Jordan and Jonathan, these precious kiddos over here, they have hosted us uh, just so generously since we have... Uh, been down here. The Harrison family, uh, we've been friends with them for 15 years, and they have been faithful friends and have loved us uh, more than we deserve, and we are so grateful for your friendship and for your love. So it's a blessing to be sharing here uh, with you all. Uh, I am uh, I'm grateful for, for the Lord's favor to us on this morning. Uh, what a scripture. What a scripture. And this morning, by God's grace, I'd like us to consider together Favor for the fed up. Favor for the fed up. August 22nd, 1964, a poor Mississippi sharecropper turned civil rights activist named Fannie Lou Hamer sat before the Credentials Committee of the Democratic National Convention in Atlantic City. Hamer described in graphic detail vicious 1963 beating that she endured, suffered in a Mississippi jailhouse that left her with severe kidney damage, a blood clot behind one eye, and a permanent limp. She revealed the demeaning discrimination that had long crippled the hopes and dreams and bodies of black folks all across Mississippi. And as a national television audience looked on and listened intently, she culminated her speech with these unforgettable words. She said, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And this is where our text situates our emotions and our thoughts and our imagination on this morning. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. God's people, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Look at what verse 4 says. It says, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. The Lord's people enduring long-standing, deep-seated oppression that has vexed their minds, that has brought them to the end of their ropes, and they are calling out to the Lord for relief. The imagery here is like a sponge getting so filled, so saturated with water that it's unable to absorb anymore, and it's just about to sink to the bottom. And I believe some of us, if we be honest, can relate to that today. I believe some of us can relate to that feeling. I, the feeling that if, if I see one more viral video, if I hear about one more atrocity, if, I, if I've got to endure, endure this mistreatment uh, 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 one more time on my job or in my home or from my neighbor, if I get overlooked one more time, I just don't know what I'll do. I believe I will drown in my own tears or worse, perhaps go completely numb and lose the ability to feel it all. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. The scripture says the contempt of the proud. You know what the contempt of the proud is? The contempt of the proud is where the bully knocks you down, sits on your chest, and then mocks you for your inability to get up. Right, so uh, uh, the contempt of the proud socially can look like this. It's when, a, it's when society historically shuts you out of the housing market, redlines your communities, and now blames you for living in the ghetto. Social suffering can be that way. Uh, uh, emotional suffering can be that way. It's like when depression has got you down and then makes you feel guilty for being down. Anxiety has got you down and makes you feel as though you are a bad person for being down. And it can get to the point where you feel sick and tired of being sick and tired. But the good news today is that the Lord in his mercy doesn't tell his people not to feel this way or not to talk about it. In fact, he places, he situates the feeling of the fed up in the Psalter, in the collective memory of his people, precisely so that we will talk about it. Precisely so that we can process it and that we don't have to process it alone, that we can process it with brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to notice that this plea is in the plural and the singular. Did you notice that? that, that I, when, you, when you look at the Bible, when you read the Bible, don't just quickly read over the words without paying attention. Notice the tenses of, notice the, notice, notice, notice the small things about these words here. Did you notice that it says, our soul has had enough? Now what you would expect it to say is our souls have had enough. But it says, our soul, our, plural, soul, singular, 
has had more than enough. There's a sense in which we, whether we are personally going through suffering or not, we are supposed to feel it as though we were. We feel it collectively. We feel it as the body of Christ. And the Lord places this in the Psalter to ensure that we bear these burdens together. Let's keep doing share the burden of folks who are fed up, we've got some good news for you today. All right, brother. Praise the Lord. Can you hear me better now? All right. Wonderful. We've got some good news for you. The Lord has got a perspective for the fed up, and he's got protection for the fed up. God's perspective for the fed up. Notice in verse 1, it says, to you, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Our text begins with a statement of God's exalted reign, God's high upness, God's being above everything. And that's really important to begin with because, listen, people on the bottom desperately want to know that God is higher than everything that's higher than them. We want to know that God is greater than our oppressors, that God is bigger than everything that's got us down, that God has got more power than the bully. Amen, somebody. Oppressed people long for the God who is enthroned above all worldly systems of oppression. And to appeal to heaven means, beloved, that God, listen to this, is not confined by the limitations of our finite imaginations. What does that mean? That, that, that means that God can do it whether you can see it or not. The reformer John Calvin says it this way. He says, when no hope of aid is left for God's people on earth, yea, rather, when their condition is desperate, they should then remember that the power of God remains in heaven in unimpaired and infinite perfection. Just because you can't imagine a way for freedom, justice, joy, and salvation to prevail doesn't mean God can't make a way. Coming out of the black church tradition, there's a statement, an idiom that we often say, God can make a way out of no way. Even when I can't see a way, God can take the raw material of no way and he can fashion a way. You know, the cross is all about that. Billy Graham once told a story of a famous painting hanging in a museum in Paris. On one side of the painting sat the devil. And on the other side, a young boy about 16 years old. They're playing chess, and the devil was leering with a triumphant expression on his face because he has been just whooping this boy at chess all day. And the boy is sitting there with big tears in his eyes, wondering whether or not his life will be given up because the devil is going to win this game of life over him. No strength, no way out. He had given up believing. The title of the painting is Checkmate. One day, a famous chess master happened to be in that museum, and he stopped. And he looked at this painting called Checkmate. 
And as he stopped, he began to stare and he began to linger. And his entourage, the folks he was with, they, they'd say, hey, come on, we, you've been staring at this painting long enough. Let's keep going. There are other things to look at. But he said, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to look at this a little bit longer here. And he looked and he turned his head and he stared and he wondered and he thought until he finally said, wait a minute. This painting is misnamed. This is not checkmate. The game is not over. I, I, I found a move. One more move that can win the entire game over the devil. And, and, and listen, beloved, that's what God being enthroned says to us today. That's what God being enthroned in the heaven says to us today. It says to us that no matter how hard life gets, no matter how impossible the situation appears, no matter how desperate you find yourself, the king has always got another move. When, when they saw Jesus's lifeless body laid in that tomb and the stone and the stone rolled in front of it, they were ready to call checkmate on life. They were convinced that injustice and corruption and evil and oppression had the final say. But what they didn't realize was that the king had one more move. Come on, somebody. And on the third day when Jesus got up from the grave, the king made a move that would win the entire game over evil, sin, and death. And we today, people of God, live in light of the glory of that final move. We, we are people of resurrection hope. We are prisoners of hope. So it can be intimidating looking at these long-standing injustices. It can be intimidating watching these viral videos. It can be intimidating considering these structural injustices and wondering whether these structures can ever be moved. We might be ready to throw in the towel, but I'm here to tell you, as long as King Jesus is enthroned in heaven with nail scars in his hand, the king has got a final move. Amen. He's got a final move. And we ought to think about that today, beloved. We ought, to, we, ought to, we, we ought not to just let this be general. We ought to make this particular because the Lord has got particular grace for your particular fears. And you ought to take every single thing that you think is too big for you to handle, and you ought to see it going beneath the feet of the resurrected Christ. Religious persecution put beneath the feet of Christ. Misogyny, put beneath the feet of Christ. Racism and xenophobia, put beneath the feet of Christ. Class oppression, age discrimination, marginalization, bullying and abuse, put beneath the feet of the risen Christ. The king has got a final move. One day, when we hear that final trumpet sound, the whole world will see the king has got a final move. One day, when those graves burst wide open and we see folks that had been long past, risen in glory, we will see the king has got a final move. One day when we dwell in the new heavens and the new earth and there's no more crying and no more suffering and no more sorrow, we will see the king has got a final move. We see God's perspective for the fed up. But we also see, beloved, God's protection, God's protection for the fed up. Verse 2 says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, 
as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. This wonderful imagery of master and mistress is drawing upon the imagery of belonging, responsibility, and union. Belonging, responsibility, and union. This passage is emphasizing the fact that we've got to remind ourselves and lay hold of the fact and look to God as those who belong to him by covenant. As those who belong to him. That's the whole thing about master and mistress, right? Those who belong to him by covenant. Those who are claimed by him. Those uh, for whom he has taken personal responsibility. That's who God is to us, you see. And, 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 and that glorious, precious reality that I'm not out here by myself that we're not in here by ourselves, that we're not in the midst of hard situations alone, and that God has not left us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, you better be glad that God hadn't left you to pull yourself up by your own bootstrap, but that God claims you as, 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 as his own, and God has taken responsibility for you. That glorious reality is our comfort and hope in every situation, in life and in death. Do I need to, should I take this off? Did you shut it down for me, brother? All right, all right. That, that glorious, amazing reality. And, that, and we're going to read that just after the sermon, Lord willing, the Heidelberg Catechism, Q&A 1, I love this. says, what is your comfort in life and in death? Then it lifts up the reality of belonging, that I am not my own but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Ooh, that's good news. Oh, that's good news. We, if, if I didn't say nothing else, we could shout off of that one. We could praise the Lord. That's enough gospel good news for all of us. Heidelberg Catechism Q&A, the first half. says, no matter where I find myself, one thing remains unchanged. I still belong to the Lord. I'm still his. He still takes responsibility for me. Look, look, look. He's put his reputation on the line about what goes on with you. And he's not ashamed to do that. He's put his reputation on the line. You, 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 remember, you remember the wilderness? You remember the exodus? Isn't that, isn't that what Moses said to the Lord? Well, wow, if we don't make it, Lord, what will the nation say about you? And that's what we can say, Lord, if we don't make it, what will the nation say? The Lord claims us as his own. He, he put his name upon us in baptism. He, he brings us to his table and says, these people are mine. I'm doing something. I'm showing something about my character through these people. And, and, and listen, beloved, he's paid a heavy cost, a, a heavy price to claim you as his own. You, you didn't come cheap. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, poured out his own uh, precious blood to purchase you, to free you from the power of the devil. And the Lord didn't just die quickly. The Lord suffered and died for you. The Lord agonized for you. The Lord heaved for you. The, 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 the Lord suffered and, and he was brutalized and he took the, he, his, his hands were pierced and, and his nerve endings cried out for relief for you. And you think that he's going to let you be lost? 
if he was willing to pay that kind of price for you. When the Lord claims you, he, he listen, he meant it. He, he, listen, the Lord, we, the Lord we serve plays for keeps. He plays for keeps. And, 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 and then the saints in the black church used to say, the Lord is a keeper. Oh, they, they look back on their lives. They, they, they look back on the, on the persecution and the oppression and, and the sorrows and the sufferings of life. And they say, one thing I can tell you about the Lord, I can tell you he's a keeper. He's a keeper in good times. He's a keeper in bad times. He, he, he's a keeper no matter where we find ourselves. And that's, that's some amazing protection and provision. Notice that the passage does not say our eyes look to the Lord our God to see whether he will have mercy on us. No, 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 no. This is not a situation where we're calling out to a God that's capricious, a God that's, that's, that's just unpredictable. No, 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 no. We know God is merciful. He's revealed that in the giving of his own son. And so we look to him until he has mercy on us. We, we know the goods are coming. They might not come on our timeline and they might not look exactly the way we would want them to look, but they show up right on time. They're always exactly what we need. And so we ought not to let, listen, we ought not to let anyone convince us that the Lord has nothing to say to our sufferings. We ought not to let anybody convince us that the Lord has nothing to say to our emotional sufferings. We ought not to let anybody convince us that the Lord has nothing to say to our social sufferings. The Lord said, look at here, look at the social sufferings of my people. And I'm telling them to cry out until the mercies come because the mercies are coming. The mercies are coming. The mercies are coming. The mercies are coming. Police brutality, the mercies are coming. Mass incarceration, the mercies are coming. Domestic violence, the mercies are coming. Poverty, sickness, disease, the mercies are coming. God's mercies are coming. God cares, beloved. We have divine authoritative accompaniment, whether we realize it or not, in every situation. Pastor James Whitehead tells the story of raising his two young children in a rough city. Although he would not let them go anywhere alone, they always begged him to let them walk to the store alone. You know how kids can be sometimes. They just want their independence, and they say, well, mom and daddy, just let me, just let me go. Just let me do this. I got a teenager now, praise the Lord, and y'all pray for me. She's a wonderful, wonderful teenager. She's wonderful. And I just thinking about the day in which she gets behind the wheel and says, Daddy, just let me go. I'm just, I'm going to have to get myself a permanent, you know, daddy seat in the back, you know. I just, you know, I don't know how you parents do it, you know. But these kids convinced their father to let them go. They were so excited because they, they were going to the store by themselves. And what they didn't realize was that when they went out the front door, daddy went out the back door. And so as they go strutting down the street, they were walking all the time not knowing that their father was on a parallel street watching them just out of sight. 
So they went to the store, got their candy, on their way back home. And on the way back home, they came across a stray and very angry pit bull. This pit bull looks at them and starts to snarl and bark and starts to walk toward the children. Both of them stopped. They were shaking. The pit bull could sense their fear and kept walking toward them. And it was about to attack them until he saw Pastor Whitehead walk up behind them with a stick in his hand. Pastor Whitehead said, my children never saw their father, but that dog did. Come on, somebody. And when the dog saw that stick in my hand, he took off running. Come on, somebody. And, and listen, listen, listen. You might not listen. Oh, uh, God, uh, the Lord is spirit. And those who worship him in, uh, worship him in spirit and truth, you, 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 you might not see the physical listen, embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ on this side right now. But guess what? Guess what? The Lord has put his name on you. The Lord has put his spirit on you. And listen, trouble sees the Lord even when you don't see the Lord. And trouble has got to respond to his authoritative presence. He got up with all power in heaven and on earth in his hand. And he is wielding it on behalf of his children. And listen, beloved, that's the comfort of being claimed. That's the comfort of not being out here by ourselves. The Lord is risen and reigning on behalf of his children. And so mercy comes to you in every circumstance because King Jesus makes sure mercy comes to you in every circumstance. The saints in the black church used to say he's a lawyer in the courtroom and a doctor in the sick room. Uh, that, that was a way of saying that he's with me in the midst of life's struggles. He's with me in the midst of life's hardest circumstance. And so whatever I face, I know I'm not facing it alone. I know I'm not facing it by myself. I know I'm not in this having to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I might not see him, but trouble sees him. The devil sees him. And all of hell's minions see him. Circumstances see him. Disease sees him. The trajectory of history sees him. And my life, whether I realize it or not, has got to see him. He is with us to ensure that we will make it home. Oh, that's good news today. That's glorious, wonderful, wondrous good news today. And so, child of God, take comfort today in the Lord's perspective. He's greater than any trouble that comes in your life and the Lord's provision and protection. He's not just high, but he has looked low and stooped down low to provide for you and to feed you and to help you to be an ever-present help in the time of need. Amen. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful, Lord, for your gospel good news on this morning. Lord Jesus, you are better to us than we even realized, more present with us than we even realized, more gracious and kind and generous with us than we ever realized, greater in your salvation than we ever realized. And so, Father, we pray, God, that through your word, Lord, you would continue to mold us and shape us, O oh God, after the image of your Son, and continue, Lord, to lift up our eyes, O oh Lord, to see you enthroned, O oh God, in the heavens. 
we thank you because our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And it has brought him pleasure to make all things work together for the good of his children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Beloved, the Lord has manifested his ability to have solidarity with the fed up through his incarnation and through his life and through his suffering death. If you are, if you listen, if you are finding yourself in a position of being fed up today, when you, as you look at the Lord's table, this is a table that proclaims favor for the fed up. It proclaims mercy to the fed up, that, 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 that God knows what it's like to be persecuted. In all your afflictions, listen, he was afflicted. And so he invites you to the table to be strengthened by that love and by that faithfulness and by that commitment. He invites you to the table today to be to 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 get us to get a just a just a glimpse of uh, that 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 this is not the end of your story. That he is reigning above all things, and he has brought heaven to earth right here. He has taken from the heavenly banquet and given you and I an appetizer. He's taken of the spoils of his victory, and he puts it listen right there in your hand. And so as you. As you, listen, open that, that cup and, and you take that, that, that bread in your hand, I want you to understand that that's not just a snack cracker. Mm-hmm. That's not just a Ritz cracker. But, but listen, through that cup and through that cracker, the Lord is mediating real grace to you. The Lord said, you, you want to know how certain your salvation is? I'm going to put it right here in your hand. Mm-hmm. You want to know how close I am to you? Mm-hmm. You want to know how, how, how good I am in your life? You want to know how present I am in the time of trouble? I put it right here in your hand. So be encouraged to come into the table. The Lord is good and favorable to the fed up.